Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park the home of the San Francisco Giants. Hey, let me tell you what I'm going to do today. I'm going to play part of my conversation with Jason Keitel, writer for WFAN and CBS in New York. And he's been a frequent guest. In fact, he appeared on earlier, uh, a few days ago, we were talking about the state of the Yankees in 2016. But the real reason I brought him on, that was kind of a tangent conversation we had, and we squeezed another podcast out of it. The main reason I wanted to have him on was because he conducted a pair of interviews, one with Daryl Strawberry and one with Dwight Gooden. And seeing that we're both children of the 80s, I was so intrigued that a guy who grew up in the New York area in the 80s was able to interview the two players who basically represented New York in the 80s, and that is Gooden and Strawberry. So I wanted to bring him on, ask him what it was like to talk to him, and basically reminisce a little bit of what those two players meant to New York in that era. So here's my conversation with WFAN writer and friend of the podcast, Jason Keitel. Let me tell you something, Sully. I've never had so much trouble trying to find somebody. Really? It took me 10 days and over 35 phone calls, and I finally got him. As a matter of fact, if I didn't talk to Gooden, I, I was in touch with CBS this whole time, yeah. and they knew how hard it was. And they said, look, we really appreciate your effort. Just if you can't get a hold of him by 5 p.m. Sunday, we'll just call it off. Because the piece was about Gooden's relationship with George Steinbrenner, which is a fascinating dynamic. Right. So... At 3 o'clock, I met my mother's, of course, it's Mother's Day, and I said, what the hell? Let me just give it one more shot. I call him on the fifth ring he picks up. It was like a miracle, Sully. We wound up talking for 29 minutes. Wow. And this is, yes. I mean, now, and he's, where, I mean, look, I'm not going to ask you to hand out his, his address or anything like that, but he's, Tampa. In, he's in Tampa, right? Right, but he's, in, he's actually in New York. I'm not sure why he's in New York City right now. Don't know if he's visiting or if he's spending the summer here, but he, he generally lives in Tampa. So uh, he's still struggling. We'll just leave it at that. So you are. Uh, so you you spoke. I like Daryl, by the way. Daryl right. seemed like Daryl was wonderful. Daryl Daryl was great. I spent an hour on the phone with Daryl Strawberry. He is clean, sober, and totally lucid. He is in great shape, by the way. Strawberry always struck me as someone, that even when he obviously he had his demons and he had his addictions and he had his things that railroaded a potential Hall of Fame career, but... Right. People, and colon cancer. Yeah, and cancer that. and everything else. But people seem to, at least during his Yankee days, swear by him as the person and as a teammate. And mm-hmm. and I, I always think that that was one reason why he got so many... He got so many second chances. Let me tell you, Sully, and the, everything you said is exactly true. But believe it or not, that's even more the case with Doc Gooden. Even more people love him. Even more people adore him. Mm -hmm. Even more people gave him chances. He was given dozens, and I'm not exaggerating. He was given dozens and dozens of chances, especially by the New York Yankees. 
and he wasted all that goodwill. But people still adore him. People still try to get in touch with him. I talked to Dallas Strawberry, and I said, look, by the way, I'm trying to get a hold of uh, your, your former teammate, uh, Doc Gooden. He says, oh, he's, he, that's my boy. He says, please tell him I love him. Dallas tried to get uh, Doc into his own rehab. Uh, Doc has, uh, Dallas has several rehabs he's created and sponsored. Mm-hmm. He has tried tirelessly to get Gooden into one of his clinics, and he won't do it. So people still love Doc. Unfortunately, he just won't do it. But he's a very humble and nice man. Well, and and you know, there's a there's a little bit of Daryl reminds me of. I don't know if you saw uh, No No, a documentary with the the film about uh, Doc Ellis. I don't know if you saw that film or not. I, oh, sure, I love that. It's yeah, great LSD, movie. everything. Yes, it's a great, great movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen it be, I actually I went to see, Showtime. Yeah, I mean, I watched it on Netflix, mm-hmm. but it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to see it because Doc was a great character, and obviously the LSD no hitter, and so I went expecting to have kind of a you know a fun, you know, light look at this crazy character, and I was sobbing by the end of the movie. I was like absolutely in tears by the end of the movie because you saw that he was a man who was you know obviously fought with his drug addiction and everything, but turned his life to a way that was like, okay, I'm going to take all the good that happened to me and all the bad that happened to me and spent, and he spent the rest of his life, you know, counseling people who were going through it and, and going through addictions and, and being uh, a terrific role model. And I get the sense that at least to a degree, Daryl is going down that road as well. He is very much so. And I may have mentioned this during one of our, interviews before Sully, but I have always had a soft spot for the pirates because my father was born and raised an hour south of Pittsburgh. Right. And he grew up on the Bill Mazeroski, Roberto Clemente pirates. Mm-hmm. In fact, he still says Clemente is the best player he ever saw, even better than Mansell at his prime. Uh, I mean, I always like a good sports story. I love a good human interest story and Doc Ellis is all those things. And he was a pirate. So I, I gravitate toward that film very much. So, and you're right. There are parallels and Daryl, is not one of those guys who's just been sober six months and talking a good game. He's been sober for years and years now. As a matter of fact, he's living in Missouri because I think it serves a dual purpose. One, he can be close to the, his cause, which is he's an ordained minister and he's helping people stay sober. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, it's never good for a recovering drug addict really to dwell in Manhattan unless they have to. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. So yeah. it's, it's a healthy environment for him. People who were really children of the mid to late 70s and into the 80s, if you weren't from mm-hmm. that era, it's really difficult to understand the effect of when Gooden and Strawberry exploded onto the scene between 83 and 85. I mean, Strawberry, and imagine living in New York City at that time. Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, this was a city that was, this was Ed Koch, this was, you know, Trump. How am I doing with Ed Koch? Yeah, yes. am I doing Ed Koch? This is, this is when Trump started to emerge this was wild. The art of the deal. Yeah, yes. This was Gordon Gecko era New York. And it was, That's exactly what it was. Yes. And it was excellent. Yes. It was Bonfire of the Van. Mario Cuomo was our governor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Coke. It was, you know, the, the punk scene. It was kind of was at the beginning of the decade. And it was just, uh, and in the middle of this, the Mets, who had been basically irrelevant since the trading of Tom Seaver, Certainly had the two most exciting and and just electrifying stars in base. I mean, the the um, the year that Gooden was 19 years old, 
pitched in the All-Star game, blew everyone away, and everyone's like, who the hell is this? And by age 20, he was a Cy Young Award winner and twice leading. 24-4, 1.53 ERA. Yeah, and had one of the great seasons. And it just became clear that these two guys were going to be, were taking this this franchise that had that was nowhere and suddenly turned the city. The city was a Met town. I mean, like, there were still the okay. Don Mattingly fans and the people who stood. That's one reason why Mattingly. Dave Winfield, yeah. Because he represented, oh, I'm going to stand by the, mm-hmm. the, I'm not a bandwagon fan. I love Mattingly. But mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. difficult to have people realize what those three years, Gooden and Strawberry, were to New York. I can connect so well to this era. As you say, we're the same age. I was in high school, and I was a diehard baseball fan, and I adored the Yankees. And let me tell you something. When you say it was a Met town, it was more than a Met town. The Met owned the core of the Big Apple. It was all Mets all the time. And as a diehard Yankee fan, it was absolutely wretched. It was just it was soul-snatching pain every day to know that this team was better, and they were just way better. And also, to a man, you know, again, you don't get to watch probably the, the SNY broadcast. So I will tell you, Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez, Gooden, Strawberry, almost every essential, Ron Darling, almost every essential Met from that team said that the 85 squad was even better than the 86 squad. Yeah. They won like 99 games and lost to the Cardinals. Yeah, and i tell you, one of the great moments, I mean, look, at, um, far be it for me to wish more pennants to the Yankees. That team in that the Mets had in 85 was spectacular. And the team that Billy yes. Martin managed, to, and they almost caught the Blue Jays. And that was when mm-hmm. Mattingly was the MVP. They had Winfield, Henderson, mm-hmm. uh, Gidry. Do you Jones. remember Mattingly's year? It was insane. He yeah. had like 345 or something. Yeah, unbelievable. 35 homers, 145 RBI, something like that. Yeah, he was bananas. And and they had Ricky yes. still in his prime. Um, if those two. Dave Winfield. Winfield. Yep, Winfield. If those two teams could have met in the World Series, that Met team versus that Yankee team, that was one of that would be one of those simulations you see. What would have happened if those two teams had passed yes. off? It would have been Billy Martin would have, was managing the Yankees. It would have been one of the great moments because it would have been two two so distinct personalities for those two teams and two distinct fan bases and the Mets basically putting a flag in the in the ground and saying it's our town now let me tell you something this is I rarely rarely do this and I've interviewed hundreds of of very public sports people and I told Doc I took off my reporter's hat and I put on my pom-poms and I said Doc I rarely do this but and I hated the Mets because I was a diehard Yankee fan and I was a teenager. And you know how those allegiances are. You either love or hate somebody. And I said, watching you in 1985 was an honor beyond words. I said, I, w- I wasn't around for Koufax. I wasn't, I wasn't around for Gibson in 68. But I was around for Guidry in 78. And I saw Clemens in 86. And let me tell you, you pitched the best year I've ever seen in my life. To this day, still, nobody in my opinion has had a season like you did in 1985, and I truly believe that. So like, he was very, very grateful and, and humbled by that. 16 complete games, 8 shutouts. Yeah. 16, Sully. Yeah. 8. He led the league in wins, earned run average, complete games, innings pitched, strikeouts, ERA plus. I mean, there was almost, there's virtually no category. He, Other than that, he had a terrible season. Like, if he didn't finish in first, he finished in second. I mean, he just was an unbelievable right. season. He he 
think about his walks to strikeouts. He struck out 268 and walks 69. <laughs> Probably, I asked him straight up. I said, because, you know, at the end, I just wanted to squeeze in a couple questions. I said, what was it like for you that year? I said, obviously, you've had other good years, but that one season was so singular. What, what was that like? And he said, honestly, Jason, he said, I was just on a roll the entire season. He said, you know, pitchers can get on a roll for a week or two. I was like that for six months. And he said, honestly, when I stepped on the mound, I wasn't there to win the game. He said, I was there to throw a shutout. And he said, I honestly felt like I was going to, no matter who the opponent was, I felt like I was going to shut them out every time. I remember. Every time. I remember. Oh, Gary said that. Uh, Tim McCarver was on Letterman, I think. And, yeah, it was Letterman. Mm -hmm. And it was after the 86 World Series. And Letterman essentially asked him, you know, what's up with Doc Gooden? He, you know, he, had, he took a big step back this year. And McCarver mm -hmm. pointed out that he went 17-6 and six with a 2.8, pitched yeah. 250 innings, and struck out 200 at age 21. I right, mean, step back. That's, that's, you should be in college at that age. And the, that was his third straight right. year. And, right. and then, of course, the next year was, you know, yeah. when the, when in, it's funny that if you looked at his stats, I have his page up here on baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. and it is. He went 17 and 6 that year with a, you know, the, oh, he went 15 and 7, 18 and 9, then he was 9 and 4, he was hurt, 19 and 7. I mean, if you look just at his stats, he's like, oh, yeah, he was still on a roll. But, mm -hmm. you know, his ERA was going up, but it was still solid. He was still 200-some-odd innings a year at age 25. And then, you know, by 92, things started to really collapse. And he didn't even I don't know if you ever heard this story, Sully. I just heard it for the first time a month ago. Obviously, you know who Mike Francesa is. Yeah. He said that uh, in 1985, he was at Shea Stadium watching Gooden during this incredible run. And he had the good fortune of sitting next to Bob Gibson. And everybody was obviously marveling at Gooden, even Gibson was. But toward the end of the game, he turned to Francesca, and he honestly said this. He said to Mike, he said, Mike, Gooden will never be better than this, ever. And he was only 20 at the time. And to this day, Francesca has no idea why Gibson said that or how he knew. Uh, I don't know if Gibson was just hating or, or, or whatever, but I, I don't know. He said that, and he was right. He said Gooden will never be better than this. Well, maybe it was his. Maybe it was kind of a backhanded compliment, like going, "We're watching a kid yeah. peak at age 20. You know, I mean, right? Maybe he's worse than well as a pitching. <laughs> exactly. He did that with <laughs> Kane. Exactly. Kane. Exactly. Rosebud. He should have said Rosebud at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and we are approaching um, the the twentieth anniversary of his no hitter, which was on May 14, 1996. And the reason I know that is because my birthday is May 14. It's serendipity then, my man, that we're talking because CBS has commissioned us being the writers for CBS New York, and me in particular, of course, I've been given the bulk of this, to write a series of articles based on the 20th anniversary of that team. Hence my interview with Doc Gooden, which I'm going to uh, publish this week, and then the one on Daryl Strawberry, which will post the week of the 23rd. So the timing couldn't be better. You know, it's funny. I The... Um I always think that there there are several there have been several teams that George Steinbrenner has obsessed over that he wants to try to acquire as many players from those teams as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. When you take a look at the, I'm going to bring up the 1986 Mets. When you look at the 1986 Mets, the just the, just the roster in general, 
the number of players who went on to play for the Yankees. Um, just looking at like you have, you know, Rafael Santana did, uh, Daryl Strawberry did, Kevin Gooden, Elster mm-hmm. did, Bobby Ojeda did. For a minute, Doc Gooden. Doc Gooden did. For a minute, Jesse Orozco did. I think there may have been one or two other. I'm not thinking off the top of my head, but like. And of course, Cone wasn't on that team, but he was on the the later. He was on the '88. The '88 team, yeah. And he went what twenty and three that year. Something, like, something crazy like that. Um, yeah. You could argue that the team that won the World Series was the third best Met team of that era because the '85 mm-hmm. team was stacked and the '88 team was stacked as well. But um, and and bringing in both Gooden and Strawberry was. I always felt Steinbrenner's way of saying, here's the team that stole the city away from the Yankees. And the two biggest names mm-hmm. on that were Gooden and Strawberry. I'll be damned if they're not wearing Yankee uniforms. And there was, you know, that there's mm-hmm. no way he would have brought in Gooden and Strawberry if they had been stars for the Pirates or the Phillies. But because they were the stars Correct. of the Mets, that I'm going to be Father Flanagan. I'm going to bring them in. Mm-hmm. They're going to play great. Mm-hmm. And they were part of that 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 nine you know that ninety six year. And it was just you know it's interesting. There are certain parallels, Sully, to the ninety six and eighty six clubs was which was they had a perfect timing confluence of timing and talent, a perfect mixture of young rising stars and perfect veteran presence. Yeah, you know they really really were brilliantly uh, put together, even if not all of it was intentional. Even if so, you know, because you have to have some luck in baseball in any sport if you're going to win championships. You just do. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, Gooden Gooden was was great in in '96, really pretty much through mid August, but after August, the last month and a half, mm-hmm. he was. He, he said was, that he said he got tired. Yeah, and he, they left him off the playoff roster because they just mm-hmm. there was he wasn't going to get a start. So you know why why mm-hmm. waste why waste the roster spot? He was actually on the playoff roster in 2000. They, that was he finished his career uh, in the playoffs in 2000 when they beat the Mets. But they you never had that moment when Gooden came out of the pen to play the Mets. He did that one because he didn't actually mm-hmm. pitch in the, he didn't pitch in the World Series. He pitched in the playoffs. But he didn't pitch in the World Series, and that was one mm-hmm. of those. You know, one of those moments that would have been just surreal that there's Gooden coming out to pitch in, in a Yankee uniform at Shea. Mm-hmm. That's um, mm-hmm. I, I I want to just throw this one little this little tidbit that for for those of you who don't remember how big Gooden and Strawberry were in New York in oh, in the eighties, monstrous, you, literally. Do you remember what was by um, Port Authority? That they had, there was a big. Mural. I remember that picture of him up the side of the building. Right, there was a huge mural of Doc Gooden. Yes. On building. Yes, up the flank of a building. And when you got out of, I remember it well. You got out of Port Authority. One of the first images you saw was a picture of Doc Gooden. He was the king of the city. He was that large, literally and figuratively. He was. He was that big. Yeah, and it was. It's it, it, it's hard. It's hard if you didn't if you weren't there to realize just how big he was because he was, it was incredible. Sorry, he was so good and so young, and there was just this combination of awe and hope. He didn't just represent the best pitcher on the Mets or the best pitcher in the National League or the best pitcher on the planet. He represented the next ten years, and the Mets literally had the whole baseball world at their fingertips. They did. 
and blew it. And Ron Darling still to this day laments it. You know, I'm not a Mets fan, but Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez are by far the best one-two punch in the booth in the world as a baseball analyst. They're just fantastic. And Darling said, to this day he laments it. He said that team should have won three, four, God knows how many World Series titles. And the 85 team, like you said, was better than 86. He said it just represents so much loss. And he laments the 88 team so much. He said, you know, because you remember, Sully, they won 10 out of 11 games against the Dodgers in 88. Yeah. That team should have smoked the Dodgers. Well, not only that. They were all Hershizer and a bunch of role players. Not only that, the, the Mets won the first two Hershizer starts. They won Correct. because the Hershizer didn't lose the game. The bullpen lost them. So they were they – Didn't Tudor beat them? Didn't John Tudor beat them in a the game? I one of the games, yeah. But that was the yeah. – Socha hit that home run off of Gooden. If if they hold right. on to that game, or that went into like 11, 12 innings, if they had scored a run, right. they would have been up three games to one and not have to face Hershiser the rest of the series. And, and speaking of irony, wasn't Orozco a Dodger then? I mean, Orozco, I could be wrong Orozco, about that. No, Orozco was a Dodger then. It's funny. We're talking about Gooden and Strawberry. They're two guys who became the biggest celebrities and won – a world championship with the Mets and another championship with the a couple of championships with the Yankees each, and yet we look at their at their careers as kind of a disappointment. Squandered potential, right? Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. So, and, and and yet, like you said, if you look at them objectively, if you just landed from another planet, knew nothing about their background, and just looked at their baseball cards. You know, like, these guys were damn good. Yeah, it's just only when, when compared to the potential in their early years and all the hope. Then it becomes different. What was Daryl like on the phone? I'm just curious. At first, he was uh, a bit guarded, a bit formal. Um, and then, as I made it clear through my family, my personal history, that I understood very much what he and Doc had gone through in their lives, he began to loosen up. And he, he was speaking in, in, in uh, informal terms and using slang. He called me Jason a lot. And he really opened up. And, and you know, if we spoke for an hour, I'd say... Half of it was about things other than baseball. We talked about spirituality, about the importance of staying clean and sober, about other players, about how he was perceived in baseball. I mean, it was a lot of great stuff. Now, I could have talked to Daryl Strawberry for at least two hours. It was just, it was just wonderful. That's wonderful. Right. That's he was right. very open, man. Once you, once you get inside, he opens up. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like a little hole in the dam, but then once you punch through it, the water just comes bursting out, man. It's great. Well, it's great to hear. And hey, right. can, no, hey man, congrats on on that gig on that assignment. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like, you thank know, you. Yeah. Someone our age being able to obviously write about the '96 Yankees, which were the the team that I think most people loved the most of the championship years, was that one. But also cool. to talk to these two guys who meant so much for you know to the city, you know, and represented kind of represented. There, there's no better symbol for the 80s in New York, the excess, the success, and maybe probably too much success too quickly. As Well, as perfect. Doc you and, mentioned Gordon Gekko. That's exactly what they represented. Yeah. The good and the bad. For, yeah. for, forgive the pun. No, they were. Sorry, Tully, but they are the perfect New York dichotomy. The excess, the, the wonderful, they say there's no better place to win than New York City, but there's no worse place to fail than New York City. That's true. Thank you, Jason, and follow Jason at Jason Keitel on Twitter. He writes a lot of great stuff. Not all of it's about baseball. It's great, great boxing stuff, great stuff about the NBA, uh, and really, really wonderful writer and is a great friend of the podcast. And thanks for reminiscing. Look at that, a Red Sox fan and a Yankee fan can reminisce and totally do it in peace. 
So follow him on Twitter at Jason Keidel. Uh, you go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe to iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.